0: What's up, fitness people? It's your boy, Dion here with Active Gamer Fitness, Andrew with Caveman Barbell, and Phil with Yash Training. We are going to be talking about some crazy things today, like supplementation, GNC, vitamin shop, and the thing that got us into personal training, certifications. So we'll have Andrew start us off with supplementation. Boss, how do you feel about that?
1: I think that supplementation is one of those things that is so focused on and doesn't have to be especially with novice lifters more so i can't really talk about the endurance athlete side of it um i don't really know like i know what people who do endurance training could take but i don't know you know how heavy a lot of endurance athletes are into it but i know a lot of gym goers between the age of 16 to a lot old (laughs) love love the supplementation and it's something that I used to really really be heavily into. I used to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars a month on supplements. And now I'm in I mean with the corona thing it's a little different, but I'm pretty much in the best shape of my life and I don't take anything except for caffeine. You know, I get caffeine to get me going and that's it. I don't take protein powder, I don't take BCAAs, I don't take vitamins are a little bit different, but you know a lot of those even creatine. I mean, I know creatine has a lot of science behind it, but it's still not necessary. So that's my two cents for, <laughs> for right
0: now. <laughs> so yeah, Phil, what's your, what's your take on that, boss? Uh,
2: so I, <clears throat> I think that, uh, Andrew, you're completely right. With, like, it's focused on way too much in like, all fitness spaces. People are talking about supplements way too much because it's like the tip of the pyramid. You can't build the pyramid tip first. You know, so many people are like, you know, I just started training you know, what supplements should I take? And it's like, well, what are you eating? And what, what's your workouts? And how consistent are you being? And, you know, are you being careful to avoid injury? I mean, you could take every supplement in the world, If you get injured, you're not gonna get more fit. And people are, you know, focusing on this thing that it's only important if you're filling in all these other things, if you're checking all these other boxes, and if you're not, you know, eating good before the supplements, If you're not sleeping well, if you're not getting your workouts in, you're not being consistent, it doesn't matter what supplements you're taking. So when it comes to caffeine, uh, it's like in terms of having a a positive effect as a supplement, it's extremely well-researched. And it's one of the ones where like, if someone says to me, like, you know, I want to take supplements, what should I take? My first response would be, you know, caffeine is a good one to take if you're someone who handles it well. Some people don't handle caffeine well, mentally or physically. Sometimes, for some people, it makes them sick. But personally, I just have been drinking coffee for years. And when I started learning more about supplements and how caffeine helps in terms of uh, resistance training and endurance training, it works in, it works very well for both of those. Uh, the amount of caffeine in a single, like regular sized cup of coffee, is a little below the threshold for what's uh, normally studied for for supplementation for sport, uh, I, I don't take it as a supplement. I drink it as, like, you know, even if I wasn't someone who worked at it, it's like drinking coffee. But the fact that it also benefits the things that I do, it's just gravy on top of that.
0: As far as, as coffee and what you said, Andrew, um, that you take caffeine and that's really the only supplement you take, that's how I feel as well. I feel like I take specific supplements based upon what I need in my day. But it's very scientific and broken down to a exact like science. Like I don't take any protein if I don't need protein. I don't just like go to a store and think when I'm getting my grocery list, like All right, I need chicken breast, protein powder, protein powder, protein powder, and some more protein powder. Like, <laughs> I don't do that. I, supplements are made for what their name is to supplement your already flourishing diet. You try to incorporate those things if you do need them, but I don't think they're genuinely necessary if you eat correctly and you eat well. For example, I like you said you had the caffeine, I got amino energy, and it's pretty much just caffeine with some BCAs, but it's just caffeine with flavored with pineapple. So that's why I got it, and that's why I like it. One of the biggest supplement supplements in the supplement industry is pre-workout. Like, what are your guys' feels on a pre-workout? Because I hear so many questions about, oh, what pre-workout should I get? What what should I what should I do for my pre-workout? Should I have three hundred milligrams of caffeine in this? Like this, this uh, what was what was the one called um, that was at GNC. That, uh, Mr. Hyde. Is it Mr. Hyde? It, it, yeah, and people would come in and get it all the time, and it was <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm like, you're taking this before your workout. Like, how do you guys feel about like the amount of caffeine you need pre-workout? And the amount of caffeine that's, that's healthy for your body. So, me
1: personally, if I were to go out and get a supplement, it's pre workout. Like the only supplement I've bought within six months, I would say, is just a pre workout. Other than that, I say I wouldn't, I bought a supplement in two years. Um, that being said, I take now, I actually just got caffeine pills, 200 milligram caffeine pills. Uh, 16 of them were $3. So I pop one of those, and that's my caffeine for either my workout or my day. You know, I'll take it in the morning, or I'll take it before I work out. I think with pre-workout, it's good. I think pre-workout is one of those supplements where it's not a placebo effect. You can actually feel pre-workout working, especially with like some that have a crazy amount of beta alanine in it. It just makes your skin feel like you're a crackhead, <laughs> and you know you you can feel pre-workout. You can't feel BCAAs. Um, that being said, you know these pre-workouts, this industry in general. Has such a funny way about marketing because most supplement buyers are men, and most supplement buyers who are men want this crazy hardcore stack, and it's like, oh yeah, I take death, and that that's what I get me going for for a pre workout. It's like, okay, that's that's cool, man, but you know, like the Mister Hyde pre workout that has four hundred milligrams of caffeine. You can't really take that and and feel good. Maybe, you know, if you're just that kind of adrenaline junkie that just wants to feel so hyped up and crazy before the gym. But I I would say, like Phil was saying, a cup of coffee is between 80 and 100 milligrams of -hmm. caffeine, depending on what you're messing with. And that's not quite where the studies of athletes with caffeine show. It's typically, you know, between two and 400 milligrams of caffeine, depending on how heavy you are. So for me 200 milligrams of caffeine I don't feel like I'm gonna die to achieve my goals in the gym
0: <laughs> and that's that's insane because when when I think about the supplements that I take i I really only drink like protein shakes as a meal replacement a way to get in liquid calories so then I can digest it faster so me being like everyone might not know so everyone on this podcast who's listening I'm a competitive gamer and a jack dude so <laughs> Changing the stigma, but when I'm gaming, that's when, I deci- that's when I'm actually using the most supplements, not while I'm doing my fitness. Like when I only have three minutes between a game, I'm like, well, I haven't ate for an hour and a half. I need 200 calories and I need it to digest pretty fast. I can't just have a brick sitting in my stomach. Like, what do I take? And I'm just like, oh, I, I'll drink this little protein shake, get some quick calories and move on with my day. Or I will eat this like granola bar. Like I count those as supplements too. I know they're not, but I'm like, I'm like it supplements my diet. So so people don't consider those as supplements. But I'm like this little granola bar is tasty. It supplements my diet. It's not really what my diet is consisted of. But that's what I find I spend the most time with supplements is not actually during my fitness, but during outside activities where I don't have time for regular food.
1: Yeah, meal replacements are huge. <laughs> and I feel like there's pretty much the big three when it comes to supplements that I think can benefit people. Maybe four. It would be protein, creatine, uh, pre-workout, and vitamins. If you are someone who is iron deficient, clearly an iron supplement is going to help you out. If you need and lack vitamins from your diet, then a, a vitamin is going to help you out. Uh, protein shakes are really cool, like you just said. You, know, you have five minutes to eat a meal. If you're a delivery driver or if you're an accountant who's at your desk and you can't sit there and go to the microwave and make a meal up and cook a meal at home, if you take a two, 300 calorie protein shake, that's obviously going to really, really help supplement your diet. But you can't be that kid that drinks six protein shakes a day and go, yeah, I'm going to get big now. It's like, no, nah, it's not how it works. And honestly, real food is going to help your muscle growth way more than that protein shake. But in that Sense of where your time constraints are, you know, there. You obviously the protein works really well, and there's green that works different for a lot of different people. But research done on that, that I don't take it. I don't. I don't want to say I don't trust it, but I don't. I don't need it. So there. I mean, if people do see a benefit, they're really hitting a plateau, and creatine helps great. But I think those four right there are really the only ones that have anything in my mind. After that, it kind of gets a little fuzzy. BCAA's have some research behind them, and I think BCAA's help, maybe. You know what I mean? But I do see a lot of people who put it in a gallon jug and then carry it around. And so if you're going to drink a gallon of water, that's great. And if you need it to taste like raspberries, that's great. But I don't think the BCAAs have a huge impact on strength, gain, endurance, training, whatever have you.
0: being said, for those who don't know what BCAAs are, because Andrew's using his his big brain right now, just throwing out the acronym, (laughs) branch chain amino acids. Uh, (laughs) That's what that that stands for so if you have time look that up research and that leads me to the, the question too that i wanted to say about phil you mm-hmm. said the tip of the iceberg right and i feel like that's so big because that's the tip of the iceberg is what are the people not as well who who need that little micro change in their diet whereas if you're just focusing on general nutrition like you, you really don't need that like you don't need supplements like just do it normally and i definitely resonated with that. Was, I'm like i've heard that that once before and i really like that. The tip of the iceberg. You're not there yet. You're just, you're a general nutrition. AKA what probably can transition us into our next topic. General nutrition, AKA <laughs> GNC. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about GNC? I know i know how Andrew feels about GNC, but i want to talk to Phil about GNC. <laughs> Andrew's about to go crazy on on GNCs.
2: <laughs> um I feel the same way about GNC as I feel about like most stores that are kind of like that. Uh, I I might have been to a GNC maybe like twice. I know that you all have a lot more experience with it, but the uh, the way that I feel about them is just that like as with supplements, like Andrew said, there's like two, three, maybe four things that are uh that are like useful and necessary. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessary, but like useful for most people. And everything else is either doesn't do anything or is completely unnecessary. And they have a whole store full of other things. You know, of course, they have like normal vitamins and multivitamins, and then they have like crazy things that are like, you know, your man boosting. And you know, the if you're looking for like the next thing that's going to be banned in six months, you could probably find it at a GNC. And I just like. I don't need any of that. Like how I feel about it is like a person who wants to be healthy and that's it, you probably never need to step into a GNC. If you're a person who wants to be like competitive at a local level or like you're just trying to like, you know, compete at bodybuilding, powerlifting, running triathlons, like any of those things, like just to like be your best self, you probably still don't need to step into GNC. If you happen to be a high level athlete competing at like a national level, then maybe you might need some of the stuff they sell, but I'm not even sure.
0: So Andrew, I'm just going to let you talk on this one, man. How do you feel about GNC? I,
1: I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible because I don't want to talk for an hour about GNC. <laughs> I worked there for about two years. I worked there for about a year before the military, and I worked there for about a year after the military. I think that GNC. <laughs> I think that GNC is extremely pushy. I think 95% of the people that listen to this podcast are gonna agree with me. If you walk in, there's that dude in the red polo. What's going on, man? What brings you into GNC? And then here starts this snowball effect of just getting hounded for however long you're in the store. And my manager back in the day loved me because I was very customer friendly. A lot of customers would only come to my shift. They didn't want to see anyone else uh, because they knew I wouldn't sit there and try to make them pay $500 every single time they stepped in. That being said, my manager didn't like the way I sold. You know, he always would tell people who were new training in GNC, you should really look at Andrew for his customer service abilities. You should not look at Andrew for his sales because wow. is he a nice talker? Yeah, but he's not going to try to sell people on a $200, $300 <laughs> stack which that's not what we're about. We want to make sure people get everything and anything that they, they need. And it's not what you need. And I remember, I mean, you know, D.I. used to work at, at GNC as well. And we worked at the same store for a little bit together. And, what well, we had three or four sales calls a week. We were tracked on percentages based off different whatever different, you know, things like how many vitamins we sold that was tracked for a percentage, the vitamin boxes that everyone's familiar with at GNC, those were a percentage that was tracked. Um, GNC brand was tracked, third-party products were tracked, everything was tracked, and you you got pretty much, you know, I was always kind of good enough to not get hounded, But there was people who weren't good with customers and who also weren't good at sales that you didn't get fired for for not being a good salesman but they pretty much pushed you out the door and it's not about getting people what they need it's about making gnc as much money as possible which i think when the internet blew up and supplements really got popular online not only were you getting protein or whatever have you for half the price that you would at gnc but you didn't have to step into a store and it walked it was right to your door and a week, you know, and so now GNC is really, really hurting. I think they've closed quite a bit of stores within like the last two years. And that's because you can't build a brand off of selling people as much as you possibly can to make money for the business. You have to make a brand based off of customer service and retention. And there was one guy, and I'm not going to name him, but he would come in every single day for a single pre workout. Big dude. He was like 275, huge bodybuilder. And he would come in and pay five bucks a time. And another thing that we were tracked on was our average sale. And our average sale had to be above forty-five dollars a sale. And so when someone came in and bought a single pre-workout for four dollars, that ruined your average sale. My manager actually wanted to get him kicked out of our store and not able to buy anything anymore. But I'm telling him, I understand the average sale part of it. But listen, man, he's paying four dollars every single day. If you if you have him come in every day for a pre-workout, that times three sixty-five times four is you know like twelve hundred something. I don't know how, how much it is, but it's over a grand, man. You know, is it ruining your average sale? Maybe, but how? viable is that average sale that doesn't show customer service doesn't show customer retention it shows that i can make you spend a lot of money and that's not that's not how supplement should be sold and it's not how business should be ran and it's just not a good environment for people who don't want to just be a car salesman
0: yeah i mean like you said in the beginning boss i we worked we worked together there at the gnc for a minute i was i remember working disliking the information that I was receiving because I knew myself that the information was kind of incorrect. Um, I knew I researched supplements myself. So for everyone who's listening, um, I had my four-year degree in wellness management at the time I was working on getting my A certification. And it was, it was one of those things. I'm like, some of this information just doesn't seem legitimate. And two, a person walking in, who's just like, Hey, I want to get some vitamins, I feel, I felt so bad trying to push them into like buying protein powder or something that I know they didn't need and we're never going to use. And we're going to buy it one time, waste their money and get a bad taste in their mouth about health and fitness. And then then not want to be a healthier fit person again, because in their head, health and fitness costs money and it costs so much money that they don't want to do it. Or it, it deterred them from trying to take next steps in their, in their health and fitness. And I was with you on that. I remember I got a lot of a lot of stuff too from not being not having my average sale or my my numbers up to par. But people would literally come in and just want to talk to me. It also benefited that I looked really, really in shape. So that was another plus on the side. People come and be like, oh, you must take a bunch of stuff. And then when I would be blunt and honest with them, like, yeah, I take maybe one thing in the store they would be like, then why are you, like, what are you doing here? And I remember I got yelled at for saying that. Like, (laughs) I got yelled at for being like, I don't take nothing here. I just work out a lot, eat this this plate of food you see me consuming right now. This is what I eat on a daily basis. And and it's tough because when you make health and fitness into a, I want every single dollar from you. You lose in the long run. And like Andrew said, kind of, I feel like they—they're going to because now people can do their own research and just get stuff online for half price. And the people who would come in just for the good customer service and the help, like, oh, every time I went in, Andrew helped me with exactly what I needed, and he didn't try to sell me on something I didn't need. So I'm gonna keep going to him, just kind of like your barber or like your masseuse, like or your personal trainer, like us. You—you you could get information online for free. but you come to us because we take the time out of our day to help you and talk to you and get to know you as a person. And that's something that the internet couldn't do. But then when you, like you said, Andrew, you try to make things a number or like Hill said, when things are just like, you probably don't need it. And you're feeling like you're getting pushed into that. Then, then you, you step away from the fitness side a little bit. And it kind of hurts. It hurts you as a, as a health fitness professional to see that, like, When you're selling people stuff and you're like, man, they really are never going to come back and they're probably never going to work out again.
1: Yeah. And that was the Mm -hmm. biggest thing with me. And I wasn't certified to personally train then, but I hated watching. And GNC's favorite customer is the customer that comes in and goes, I want to start a workout plan. What do you think I should take? And then that just opens this floodgate of I'm going to make you spend so much money. And I remember Mm -hmm. there would be those people who would come in who were a little out of shape, maybe a little bit on the heavier side and just very insecure in themselves and just being like, I need help. Can I have help? And then if I wasn't there, someone would make them spend $400 and then they would get that buyer's regret, just feel really, really bad about themselves. And then probably never even start working out. And those supplements sit in their cupboard for years until they finally throw it out. And like really, for lack of a better term, hurts my feelings, man, because I know those are the people that need the most help and you just took advantage of them. And that's, that never sat well with me. And that was probably why I stood with GNC for so long. Cause like I said, I worked there for about two years, but at the end of the day, it was a paycheck for me. You know what I mean? I had to eat, I had to feed myself. I had to pay rent. So, but I wasn't a salesman by any means. And it just made people uncomfortable, not make people uncomfortable. It made my employee, the people who I worked with uncomfortable. And I don't care. I'm not going to sit there and make you pay $400 to get in shape. I'm going to, And there was actually a couple people that came to GNC who I wrote workouts for, um, which is illegal. And I wasn't able to do, but I still did it because my workouts are going to help you way more than any $400 stack you get yourself on. So, and those people came back because they wanted to talk to me and they knew my schedule. And if you can help people, they're going to come back. But GNC doesn't want to help people.
2: I I had no idea that they were like so much in that direction. I mean, I kind of knew that like there's a uh, like a joke about, you know, you go in there and person's trying to sell a little bit too much kind of like a car salesman, but I didn't know that it was, like, such a stress on y'all as workers, too. Uh, I it, When y'all were talking about, like, the money being a requirement for fitness, and some people getting discouraged, it was making me think about, and, you know, this might be a, a whole other topic for another day, but it made me think about, like, the way big box gyms treat personal training as, like, their, their like, big source of income, and they're always mm-hmm. trying to sell to people, and the only way that the trainers get clients is by like walking around and, you know, sell to someone who is uh, doing their own workout. And the idea that like, you know, if you don't have a trainer, you can't do it on your own. And they set up all these barriers of like, you know, uh, you got to pay so much and, you know, you got to do this thing, you know, you have to buy these supplements or you have to get training. And, you know, the one of the things and, you know, I'm not trying to talk us out of a job. But one of the things about being a personal trainer is that Education is part of our jobs, and I would never lie to someone and say, you need me. I know that there's enough free resources out there. If someone came to me and said, hey, I'd like to learn how to start running and do my first marathon, I would say, that's cool. You know, would you like to you know, contract me as a, a coach? You know, you know, I'd start like, you know, listening to a couple of things. And if they were like, oh, I can't really afford that. Does that mean I can't run a marathon? I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Google this. And then, you know, go ahead and do it because I don't think there should ever be a barrier to fitness. You know, we'll still have a job. People will still want to hire us and they'll want to hire us more if we, if we don't treat them poorly and people will, you know, like that guy that you said that was coming back every day. You know, if if someone tried to like hard sell that guy and, you know, you got to spend more than 45, you can't just buy one pack. You're going to lose money in the long run if you treat people like that. And it's, uh, it's, it's, To the workers, too, and I mean, you know, y'all were saying that it wasn't fun working at GNC, and I can't imagine it would be.
1: Actually, one thing that GNC did that I don't think a lot of people know about, and I brought up to my manager, and he pretty much dismissed it because I feel like people who work at GNC who are really into GNC are like flat earthers. No matter how hard you try to tell them that the earth is a globe, they still believe that the earth is flat, and no matter how hard you try to tell a GNC employee that GNC sucks. GNC GNC is still the best thing ever. Um, And so one thing that we used to do is change promotions every two months. And so we'd have to change the store around and put new price tags down. And around every two to four months, there would be a buy one, get one half off sale. And what they would do is they would have, let's say a vitamin box was $30 and you would get two, there's a $60 charge. And now you get one, buy one, get one half off when the promotion changes, that vitamin box goes up to 45 dollars and so now you get one buy one get one half off and it's like 62 63 dollars and so you're actually paying more for a box of vitamins and so people are like oh buy one get one half off what a great deal well look at what the price was a month ago and realize that you could have gotten a box of vitamins two times and still paid the same price that you just got buy one get one half off and so it's such a such a good marketing scheme that gets so many people it's like, hey man, that's not buying one get one half off. You want to grab two? Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I wish you knew what the pricings were at all, like all the time. It's it's it's
0: sad. You know what? That that is something crazy. Like Phil, you you said it about the like the training in a corporate gym. Now I don't know if Andrew, you have you ever have you been in a corporate gym before? Only to work out, never to train. Never to train. Oh man! So I worked for Planet Fitness and LA Fitness. Both of those places had the same style of of that person is is a number. that's a membership. that's that's we we are trying to get more memberships. We're not trying to get that person to be a better athlete to ha- help their health. Oh, if that's a byproduct, cool. But I remember I would spend so much time and I would invest so much of myself into into making people and educating people on health, fitness terms. Better exercise techniques, and I remember I to get talked to about doing that. Like, hey, like you only have 30 minutes with that person. Like, you should be out on the floor trying to get trying to get uh, clients. You shouldn't. You should be trying to talk to them while they work out. Like, is that person doing their workout right? Maybe they need a trainer. And I'm like, maybe they're uncomfortable right now. Maybe they they come to this place because they want to be. They, this is their meditation period. Maybe they need to take themselves out of their daily life. If I see them doing something incorrectly, yes, I'll go help fix that. But I'm not gonna come over to them and be like, hey everything you're doing is wrong. I'm like, that seems like they're going to be so deterred from coming to this gym. If I'm just like, everything you're doing is wrong and you need me or else you're going to fail at life. The moment that I didn't get a, you know, my numbers didn't increase. I didn't get a percentage increase on the number of people I reached or the memberships I sold. It was like, Hey, you're not doing your job. And I'm like, well, what about my client last week who, who could barely walk on a treadmill? Now she's, she's jogging. Like, What about that? It's like she's moving. What about the person who was so afraid to pick up the 10 pound dumbbells because they thought they'd get hurt and now they're they're doing flat bar bench press like randomly. They're like they want to learn. What about the person who was so was only doing cardio but then they asked me and said, Hey, I think I'm comfortable enough to work out in the gym area? Like that stuff is is the big gains that you get as a trainer, but like when you're in the corporate side, it's like you spent too much time with that person, you could have got two other leads. Or you could have got three other clients in that time. Like, why are you spending so much time on these people? That's what honestly put me into what I'm doing today. Like, I really was spending time trying to help and make, give benefits and value to everybody I trained at a corporate level. I'm like, I should probably just do this for myself. That's what got me into getting my certification. Like, what cert- we all have different certs, so I'll, I'll start off with mine. I got an A certification, which is the American Council of Exercise. Andrew, what certification do you have? I'm certified through NASM. Uh,
2: I have my certification. It's just the uh, the standard CPT certification from the NSCA.
0: Okay. Uh, Andrew, what is what does it entail to get your certification? So NASM is
1: more of a corrective exercise criteria when it comes to what you have to learn is about 20 chapters in a textbook the textbook i bought on my own it was about sixty dollars on amazon bought that textbook the online modules you get with the uh, certification package so i went with the very very basic one you could get a lot of different packages one of which was like pretty much an online college situation where you had instructors and they would teach you the modules i got the one where it was self-paced you got six months to go through the 20 modules Take the test, which I got very lucky because the test has to be proctored in person. But because of corona, they were allowing people to take them online. So long as you went through a proctoring service online. Uh, so I got to take mine in my house, which was really cool. But typically, you have to take it proctored. That being said, the 20 chapters are a lot of corrective exercise things. For example, if you see someone, one of the assessments we do and ask them is an overhead squat assessment. If you have an excessive lean, then, you know, maybe your hamstrings are really, really tight. Maybe, you know, you're having rhomboid issues. So we work on that with foam rolling and different corrective exercises. What NASM truly teaches you about programming, I don't think is enough. I got into NASM because before I was NASA certified, I thought NASA was the best. I thought everyone else was a little bit more gimmicky. Um, I've realized now, especially after I got my certification, that's not true. I know ACE and NCSA are both just as high of a level of, of personal training as NASM is. I think NASM just a, does a little bit better job at marketing themselves as the quote-unquote stand-all be-all. Uh, That being said, the test is about 100 questions. Then you just take it. And if you get above a 70, you pass. I bought the textbook for an extra $70. The certification itself was 630. I got a 30% uh, military discount. Typically, they will give out about 25% discounts when you get on the website for the first time. So the certification is about $675. And then I bought the $70 textbook. And then about a week before I actually took my test, I started looking for online questions so I could take practice questions. And I can't remember the website I went through, but I paid a hundred dollars and got 600 practice questions. I did them over and over. And then when I took the test, it was extremely comfortable. I did not feel nervous. I knew the information that was there. I definitely recommend doing the modules. They give you practice questions, but you can't just the test off the practice questions because they'll ask you if your client has excessive lean, what does that mean? And they'll give you A, B, C, and D. And if you know that, that's fine. But then on the test, they might ask you if your client's feet turn out during an overhead squat. What does that mean? And if you don't know what that means, then you're going to fail that test. Um, so having a wide variety of test questions for me was a huge, huge bonus and advantage. Because I think if I just did the modules based off the textbook, I don't want to say I wouldn't have passed the test because I don't want to say that, but I think I would have done as well. I don't know what I got. I know I passed certification-wise, like I said, NASM is very corrective exercise, doesn't do a lot with how to build a program. You still have to do a lot of research by yourself in hypertrophy, powerlifting, endurance training, whatever you want to have your niche be in personal training. You need to continue to research that. But the anatomy side of it was, it wasn't like your college anatomy and physiology. It was what I call meathead anatomy. So it's like, what's a gastrocnemius? A gastrocnemius is your, is your calf what's an anterior tibialis. Okay. That's your shin, you know, but it's not telling you the origin points and the exertion points. It's very meathead anatomy. And that helps people a lot because if you know the different muscles in your body, then you know what you can possibly train. Okay. My upper back is, is weak. Let me train my round Let me train my rear delts. Um, and so it helps you, gives you a bigger toolbox, but you still have to put tools in the toolbox. It's good. It's, it's, it's definitely good, but I don't think it's, NASM prides itself for being the best. Do I want to say it's the best? I yeah. I mean, I'm certified through them, so I kind of have to. You know, most other certifications are probably just as good with getting your feet in the door, and I think that's a big thing too for me. Is I looked into personal training jobs before I had a certification, and a lot are requiring NASM, ACE, and CSA. Some don't like ISA ISSA. Some don't like ISA very much. I know ISA has a 200 question final test that is open book and you don't get timed on it. So I could take myself a week and just research every question in the book and then get my certification that day. I don't I don't like that. I like the fact that I had to take the test and based off my own knowledge, but I know there's other certifications other than NASM that are just as good. You know, I know ACE is just as high up. I know NCSA, you know, is just as high up. So I liked it. Is it expensive
0: a little bit, but I think it's worth it at the end. I. Mine was kind of crazy too, but Phil, how was, what did, what were the steps for yours? Like, I know yours is different than obviously the mine and Andrew's. That's why I have the, we have three different perspectives. What was the route or the route that you had to take to get your certification? And um, what did you do for yourself to prepare yourself for
2: your certification? So when I uh, decided, you know, I I had like a a moment where I was like, all right, I'm going to go into personal training how do you do that? So I started researching uh, and I found a, a website where there was this guy who would, he wrote articles on like, what are the best five organizations to go through? And then he compared, you know, the ACE versus NASM, NASA versus NSCA, NSCA versus ISSA. And you know, I, at the time I was working at a hotel. Uh, it's a being a hotel front desk agent is a very interesting job because it can be very busy and very time-consuming to do the work sometimes, and then you can have hours and hours of nothing to do other times. So when I, you know, was doing this research, I was just, you know, standing at a computer, just reading and reading and reading. And I chose the NSEA because it actually is a lot cheaper than NASA. It ended up being uh, so. You said you got a big discount, but if you go from like the original price, uh, like six seventy-five, then mine was probably about half that. Uh, the book was about I think you said sixty bucks, and mine was about that much. I bought the textbook. My process for studying for my exam was probably a little atypical compared to some people. So the NSCA it does offer like NASM, like a tiered system of like, okay, you can just buy the book, take the test, or you can buy the book, you know, get these online modules, or then some places have like, you know, self-guided or like uh, they paste the classes or they even have some in-person, you know, review classes. And I didn't do any of that. I did, you know, just buy the book, take the test. And like I said, I was working in a hotel, I had a lot of free time some days and i just read the entire textbook cover to cover in like a month Uh, after i finished the textbook i started looking into like practice problems like you did and there's an app that i found that was like it was a little i think it was maybe like 20 or 30 dollars and you know you can get it for free and you get like 50 practice questions or if you pay like the 30 bucks you get like 300 practice questions so i just i paid for the practice questions and I just started doing them and doing them. And and I started doing it until I felt confident with like how the questions are asked and all the material. And I took the test. Uh, it was all multiple choice and it was a year ago. So I was able to take it at a uh, person proctored like testing location. It's run by uh, the company Pearson, which owns everything in terms of textbooks and tests from like you know, high school textbooks to college textbooks. They own the whole world. You know, we don't know that we're actually under the uh, surveillance by Pearson right now. Uh, but I took the test. I think it was either 100 or 150 multiple choice questions. And I think the, the barrier for passing is similar to the NASA one. I think you said 70 and mine, I think it's around 70. And I did, I did barely well on it. And I was happy with that. The company itself, I'm, I'm a little e-level on like how I feel about the nsca you know as a nsca personal trainer you know I wouldn't put them down because you know I'd like them to recertify me when when that time comes Uh, I don't want them to hear this podcast and be like no we lost your paperwork uh but you know there's there's some uh a couple of you know things I would point out uh they don't have a lot of that stuff on corrective exercises and they they do a lot of citations in their textbooks but like uh because this is how that works they're they're behind in the science by like 10 or 15 years they're saying you know a lot of stuff is helpful and useful that isn't that much and there's a lot of stuff there is you know we learned about like anatomy like you said you know your this muscle is the one in your calf and this one's in your shin and your quads are made up of you know these ones by these names and there was a whole like diagram for like how a muscle fiber looks like and Uh, I feel like I did learn a lot from it, but when I came out, I didn't feel like I was suddenly prepared to train someone. You know, I felt like while I learned a lot, I still had so much more to learn. Uh, So one thing that I was uh, happy with is that, like, I've already been, as a person who became a personal trainer, I was doing a lot of other learning about fitness throughout, you know, the years before that, and all I did was just, like, turn that up a little bit. So, you know, I started listening to like more podcasts and putting in more like fitness type YouTube videos and, you know, I'd like look up programs and read them and think about how I would write something. And uh, I mean, one of the things about being a personal trainer is, you know, you can take a test, get a couple of letters behind your name and, you know, as long as and this was the the most important thing that I looked up uh, about the organization I chose is it's one of five nationally accredited personal training certification programs. Uh, it's uh, ACE, NASM, NSCA, ISSA, and ACSM. Uh, and there's a, like a private accrediting agency that if you have one of these five, basically every gym will take you. And some gyms will prefer you to have one or the other. Like you were saying, Andrew, some of them prefer NASM i found that when i was applying to jobs right after i got my certification that like i would tell them i had it through nsca and they'd be like i've never heard of that and then they would like look it up and they'd be like oh but we can take it which was pretty ridiculous um but i made sure that it was uh that it was like nationally accredited then after getting your certification in you know as long as you get one of these nationally accredited certifications you can start training And that's the thing that really gets you to be a better trainer. You know, you don't learn about uh, building a good program by reading a bunch of books on programming. You should still be reading all that stuff, but the thing that gets you to be a really good personal trainer is experience and doing personal training. And the more you do, the better you get, the more you get to know like how different people respond to something and being able to like respond to someone else's responses is important too and that's like one of the things i learned about my certification is that you know you need it to get the job but the job is what you really need to learn yeah i
1: agree and before you start dion i don't want to take up your time but what you said phil was really really important because now i don't think a lot of people realize that there's a lot of different places that certify personal trainers and not a lot of places are nationally accredited and that's a big, big reason why I thought NASA was number one, because I didn't do a lot of research, but I knew they were nationally accredited. So I was like, yep, that's it. I'm cool. That's good with me. Um, and those top five right there that you just listed, if you go in and get a nationally accredited certification, they're all that. They're all the top mm-hmm. tier. Yeah. Like you said, you don't learn how to train and program by reading the book. You learn how to train and program by getting the experience and researching on yourself. And so that's the biggest thing that I kind of wanted to step in and and make a point off of what you said is that people who are listening to this that may want to get into personal training, take the five that you just listed and use those as the ones you want to research. Because if you live in New York, get certified in a certification that's good in New York, and then three months later you move to New Jersey, now you lost your job and your certification. So go and get a national certification and go from there. So that's why, that's why I kind of made a note when I was saying, like you said, I want to get recertified by NASM, and I love NASM. I'm not going to speak poorly about them, but knowing that there are more options that might be a little bit cheaper of nationally accredited certifications, that's, that's huge. And you should do your research yeah. and really figure out which one's the best for you.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Now, hearing both of your stories is, is so great because my story is t- – up, Flipped upside down, so far away from how both of you guys did your stuff. I, w- I would have to start my story like back when I was in college. So, just like Phil was saying, it's like learning, doing the job is actually what gets you to understand how to program. And when I was in my, my collegiate, uh, my undergrad, we had a program where uh, health promotion and wellness management students could do um, personal training jobs on campus through a grant. So they hired us as actual personal trainers and we would train uh, college students. They would be able to apply for three free weeks of training at the school gym if they paid for the room and board. It was included in their tuition and their gym membership, which was like one of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, yes, thank you. I can work, get get paid a great amount of money and work really cool hours and be a trainer. This sounds like the life right here. And that was fun. So like while I was learning how to be a trainer and learning all these different health and fitness questions and assessments and studies, I was also being a trainer for the school. So when I graduated with my degree, I already had about a year of training experience, which was super dope. So this was before I even got my certification. So when I got out, I could say that like in a job interview, like Hey, I know I don't have a certification, but I have this degree and I also have a year of training experience, which was already kind of more than what most people had when they started their, their certification. So I was really, I was really blessed, um, through SUNY Oswego with that. I don't know if they still do that. I think they actually stepped it up now. So I think you get certified at the end of your, your undergrad in ACE or ACSM. Um, that was where the two that they stressed a lot was like get ACSM and get an ACE certification. Those two are really marketable. Everyone has those, so get that. But then um, well, Andrew has, that became like the, the pinnacle. Out of nowhere, somehow that one like moved up to like, we only accept NASM. That's like the prestigious one. And I was like, but it used to be ACSM. Like my ACE book even would cite uh, the ACSM every chance they got. And I'm like, is this ACE or is this ACSM? i <laughs> like, I'm lost over here. Yeah. My, my path was kind of crazy. So I got my certification through ACE and it's the American council of exercise. I like it. What they kind of touched on more than what I noticed in when I was researching the other ones was some really focused on assessments, some really focused on programming. The ACE one kind of focused a lot on the business side on how to be a trainer. And they gave you a lot, there was like four chapters on like financial planning and how to charge people and the business portion of it. And I really enjoy that because at that time, I mean, it was kind of already set up for me. My, my school had a grant. They said, this is what you get paid. And then when I started a business, I didn't know like how to ask for this. Like what percentage of my, my cut or my pay should I give to a gym that contracts me? Like what are, what's proper? and that was a awesome build so i ended up going with the ace for that reason cuz i had a little bit more of a marketing side to it as well and a little bit of a business financial planning side uh, i hope you guys aren't going to laugh at me for this but well, my first time taking the exam i failed it
1: that's completely okay dude I, that's that's you get two chances for for, that, for a reason because a lot of people fail and it's not it's not because you're oh. an idiot
0: no thank thankfully it, it had a second a second chance at it. Um, like I said, I got out of college. I had my four year degree. I'm like I know all about fitness as it is. Like what do I need? But the problem was I paid. I think I got mine on a Black Friday sale. It was two hundred dollars cheaper. But I got the book included. I read the book. I'm like, I've already done this. I just literally spent four four years of my life studying this stuff. Like I don't need to do this anymore. The te- I was a proctor test. And I remember you had 800 points, I think it was, and you had to get above 600 points. And when I failed, I got 598. So heartbroken because I'm like, I spent so much time. How did I fail this? But I remember taking the exam, and the exam was poorly designed. And I remember writing because I'm a big person who writes like reviews on things that I think are like, kind of misrepresented or they weren't written in the correct way. I'm like, this doesn't sound good to me because like I said, I've already had previous knowledge in this. A lot of questions on the first exam I took that were very subjective to a human being's like demeanor. One of the questions I remember specifically that I wrote and said like, Hey, this is a bad question. It said, your client just finished a walking program. What is the next progression? Hills, jogging, running, Treadmill, and I'm like, I need more information about this person, and I I didn't know what they were talking about, and there was a lot of questions like that. It would be like, your client is doing um, a squat, how do you encourage them? How do I encourage them? I don't like, do I know this? I don't know this person. What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the next. So why do I have an A, B, C, and D answer when that's very that's a subjective thing? Maybe the person wants me to yell at them. And they didn't give you what the answers were to the test. And that's kind of why I was frustrated because I'm like, how do I better myself if I don't know what I failed on? You just gave me a number and it said, you did this bad. I want to know why I didn't get right. Like, why didn't I get that question right? Like, what did I answer? And is there a way I can like speak to you about it or like bring that to another professional and say, Hey, on this test, it says that I picked jogging, but like going on an incline, why do you believe that that's the next progression? Because like Phil said, it's sometimes these things are 10, 15 years behind. Like <laughs> They're further behind than what you read. So I failed my first time. And I remember writing a whole bunch of things. I'm like, there's no videos telling me what the problem is. There's no writing out what they're doing, but you're, I can't see it visually. So there's no visual representation of like, oh, he's leaning forward. Or how far forward is he leaning? Is he leaning forward because he's quad dominant? Or is he leaning forward because his, his back is hunched? What are we doing? Like, what is that? So then, the next time I took, I think it was a year. I took a year off, and I came back. I was like, all right, I'm gonna just like read this book. Like, some has to give. I didn't do any of the practice questions. I didn't do anything like that. I didn't pay for anything else. I was just like, I'm gonna read this book again, cover to cover, and then try this again. The second time I took the test, I feel like they they read my answers because there was videos on people doing workouts. So someone was doing like a bent over row, and they're like, what what is wrong with this exercise? He's too, he's bent over too far forward. He needs to like straighten his spine. All right, he doesn't have a neutral spine. Let's, that's bang, answer A, easy. Got it. I'm like, that's more realistic to me. And on that one, I got like a 795. I crushed it. I think that certain tests can actually hinder certain people because they, they see their clients in, in a different way than other trainers will. Some people are good at regurgitating information, but some people need to look at their client and be like, oh, wow, your, your ankle's kind of bending in. We need to fix that. So how do we change that? How do we work your muscles surrounding your hips or your glutes or your hamstrings or your quads? Like, how do we do that in conjunction to make your body a better unit? Not like we wrote this out. This is the program you should follow. Because like Phil said, not everyone follows that same program. Everyone is unique. When it came to my certification, it was, it was a big up and down. I, was, I failed the first time. I was very sad about that. I came back, got the good the good grade on it got my certification i was so hype after that but i was kind of already there like as a trainer so if it felt like i just got a piece of paper saying hey like when you apply to jobs you can go anywhere you want to and that's why i went with the ace two because it was nationally accredited and i'm like if i move from the location i'm in that this is going to stick with me i'm not going to lose this or it's not going to come out in two years that this company online just took my money gave me a certification that's not legitimate you feel kind of threatened and upset about that and belittled because people are upset with you or you go into a job interview and you can be like, Hey, I stand behind this company. Like I've researched them. I know what they're about. This is what they do. I believe in it. So it kind of takes a little bit of weight off your shoulders. So to reiterate what Andrew said, if you can pick one of those five, I would definitely say pick one of the five he mentioned earlier because it definitely helps you out as a trainer but make sure you put in the hours in the gym, outside of the gym with your clients as well. That's what what you do with your clients is what's going to make you a great trainer and then the stuff you do outside to help work on yourself is going to make you a better trainer for yourself.
1: And I think that's really important what you said because you had a four-year degree and you still failed the test. And it's not because you failed the test because you didn't know what you were talking about. You failed the test because you didn't know what the test was on. And so For the people out there, pick one of the five nationally accredited services, research what they talk about. Because like you said, Dion, your book had like four chapters on how to market yourself and how to build your business. Mine had one. It was at the end. And it wasn't about, hey, you should charge this. You should do this. It was, this is a 12-step process you can do in order to maybe build a business. You should figure out how much you want to make a year, figure out how many clients you're going to need, figure out what you should charge but there's only one chapter. So do a lot of your research on what CERT does and what it teaches, and then basically just learn how to take the test. And then from there, once you take the test and get done, you can go and be pretty much whatever trainer you want to be. Another big reason why I picked NASM, and I think it's important, is because you get the CPT, the certified national or the certified personal trainer, but then you can get three others after that. So I have getting certified in the CES and PES certs through NASM. That's the corrective exercise specialist and the performance enhancement specialist. The corrective exercise specialist I thought was really important because if I can train people with torn ACLs through the guidelines of a a physical therapist, then I can take that and put it into a coaching role and my athlete you know, twist his ankle on the soccer field, now I can give him corrective exercises to fix it because I'm always trying to, you have to figure out what you want your needs to be. I want to be a personal trainer, but I also want to be a coach. Phil and I talked about how we're both going for a CSCS, a Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach. Uh, Those people can really work with collegiate teams, professional teams, you can work with pretty much whoever you want. But I think there's steps you have to take in order to figure out who you want to be as a trainer. And that's why doing your research on the five big, national ones is huge. Because if you want to be a personal trainer and deal with an elderly population, then maybe you should go towards NASM, go towards that corrective exercise, and then go in a CES route. And then you could really work with a, a, a physical therapist one-on-one with those elderly people. If you want to work with athletes, you know, maybe NCSA might be better. Maybe ACE might be better. If you want to work with kids, you know, there's places that do youth exercise specialists, like you have to figure out what you want your niche to be and figure out who's selling what you're trying to buy. Because if you can get a national place that can give you a couple of those different things that you need, it's, it's huge. And you can take anything from anywhere and, and build on it, but you have to figure out what you need to build on. Cause like you were saying, Phil, with supplements being the tip of the iceberg or the tip of the pyramid, you suddenly have that base and what's that base. And so if you have a wide base, you can take it anywhere. And it doesn't care what certification you get as long as like we were saying, as long as it's national that's huge what Deanne said, you know, take the test, learn how to take the test and then get done and then just learn how to be a trainer from there.
2: Yeah. I think the, um, finding out which one you want to do, uh, and then, you know, looking into, uh, like you were saying, if you want to work with different populations, you might pick a different, uh, organization, but you know, if you're thinking about like, okay, I'm going to apply for a job, uh, you know, what's more valuable and you're like, okay, you know, I could, this certification, that certification, some third one, like an advanced one, a high level one, or five years of experience, it's always going to be the experience. And I I think that in terms of uh, education too, I mean, you know, the things you can learn from any of these certifications is valuable information, but because they're trying to certify you for an entire, very wide net kind of job, you know, to be a personal trainer, you might work with people of different populations, of different specialties, different ages, people who have different goals. And once you become a personal trainer, you could, you could just, you know, use that, work with people who, uh, you know, just want to get a little healthier, give them, you know, workouts, track them, help them with their food. But if you want to have a niche and you want to, like, help people get better at a specific thing, then you got to, like, take your certification and then add learning on top of that. And I don't think anyone should ever, you know, think that like, today's the day I'm done learning. Uh, and it's it's easier, you know, for me being someone who has like specific ways that like types of people who I'd like to train and like interests of my own and my own training. Like it's, it's easier for me to uh, find things that I want to learn. Uh, but it's also you prioritize quality of content, you know, after you've gotten your certification, like, all right, am I just going to read? You know every single post on the forums of bodybuilding.com or all the articles men's health or t nation releases or am i going to read primary source you know scientific you know articles like uh you know where are you going to put yourself like how easy is it to read how useful is it how true is it and you know you just you get after you get the certification you, you keep learning and you keep learning and you you use your learning to like turn yourself into the coach you want to be and uh, Andrew, you're you're all about powerlifting and, you know, you probably focus your future educational m- movements towards learning about powerlifting type exercises. Like, you know, how does someone get more maximally strong? How do they grow more muscle? And are uh, someone who wanted to, like, coach a soccer team, you wouldn't read the same research as someone who wanted to coach powerlifters. And, you know, after you if two people get their certification as a personal trainer. 10 years later, they might have completely different specialties and knowledge bases. And I think that it's just, you know, you pick one of these five things and then you have a stepping stone and then you, you have like a foot in the door. And then for all these jobs, you can say like, I don't just have a certification. I have a certification plus all this knowledge or plus all this experience. And it's, uh, it's less important, honestly, you know, if I had chosen ACE over NSCA, I don't think a lot would have been different slight differences between them but it's the path we take afterward that i think turns us into the trainers that we're going to be
0: so that's a good that's a good way to end it like just drop some real some real uh, philosophy on on the youth and anybody else who's listening that was great
1: yeah any more uh kombucha
0: references and, and <laughs> drops before we end the uh podcast no, today is not a kombucha day i should i should get that for the next one i should drink a kombucha every single podcast if people, if people like that and they want to hear me drink a kombucha every podcast, just give us a like. Just <laughs> say something. Like like, Dion, drink kombucha <laughs> every podcast.
2: Comment down below.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Fitness Roundtable with K-Man from www.kmanbarble.com. Phil Yoss with yossrading.com and Dion Smith with atthegamerfitness.com. The Roundtable is more of a discussion than anything. We hope you enjoyed. Leave a like and subscribe. Stay fit, stay strong, stay educated.